This is Back to Excited with your host, Arvind, and Acting the Fool from Pension Plan Puppets. Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 131. My name is Arvind. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. How are you doing, Fooliman? Not too shabby. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. Uh, a little bit under the weather, but otherwise good. Yeah. Arvin's playing the flu game right now with podcasting. So, just respect <laughs> his achievement and on a level akin to that of Michael Jordan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, we have, I guess, some... Uh, some least news, not news to discuss, just, you know, three more games of results. But I guess the way we're going to frame this podcast is um, I, uh, through the lens of, you know, we, we, we've been a little bit down on the Leafs to start the year, right? We kind of pointed out, hey, the results are great, but they're not playing in a way that gives us a ton of confidence there. And they, um, you know, kind of demolished Vancouver in a three-game series. Two of the games were, were not close. One of the games... It looked like the Leafs were sleepwalking through and then tried for about, you know, five minutes Mm -hmm. and pulled out a win. And then um, the Leafs split a series against Montreal. Right. Right. So uh, when I posed this question to Fulham last night, the Leafs were ahead in that game against Montreal. And this probably would have been a more interesting question had they pulled it out um, in in the second half of that series. Because, uh, you know, that would have opened up first off a fairly big lead against Montreal. And it also uh, was before a third period that Montreal kind of pretty well dominated yes but i think it's still worth looking at because we hear a lot like you're too negative uh i did one of these uh optimist pessimist articles that i do a couple weeks back and the idea of them is just to try to look at a how the team is doing or a particular decision from two angles you know one person who is optimistic about the team and one is pessimistic and the widespread response was you handed this one to the pessimist you clearly sympathize with him and there's probably some truth in that. So it's, were we too down? Are we higher now than we were a couple weeks ago? And if we are or are not, why is that? Like, how are we driving in terms of our opinion of the Leafs? Where are we at now? Um, um, I'd say, like, marginally better. I, yeah. th- there's a couple obvious things that have started to stabilize, mm-hmm. right? The power play is no longer breaking hockey. Yeah, and... One of the things that we said, and I said in that article I just referenced, was it was obviously going to do it. It was converting at 42%, and the best power play in the history of the world, well, history of the NHL, was a 70s Canadian team that did 31. Like, it just was not going to keep doing that. And that's so obvious that it feels like it's almost not necessary to say, but... Yeah, there were a lot you don't of get people. Any bonus points. Yeah, for, for predicting that. Yeah, like that—that's a freebie on the the bingo card for regression. But like a lot of people were saying, like, "Hey, they can have a great power play. They have great personnel. They've got some new looks. Look at all this talent. Obviously, we can expect this to be a strength." And it's like, yes, definitely. The Leafs can credibly argue that they should have the best power play in the NHL, and they can argue that they do. It's just there's a difference between the best in the NHL and way better than anyone's ever been in history. So yes. just that was buoying the results a little bit early on. Yep. The other thing to note is that, you know, we, we kind of marked remarked early on that the Leafs, uh, Corsi and their XG were really disparate. Their Corsi looked very, very good. Their XG looked quite poor. Mm-hmm. And their scoring chances were, you know, somewhere in the middle. And that has changed a bit too. Their, their Corsi has come down. Their XG has gone up. 
uh, by natural static, which I'm using, you know, just because it's the easiest to query. Mm -hmm. um, they're just, you know, they're like at 51% for both, for both Corsi and XG, and they're a little bit higher in scoring chances if you prefer that. And, um, you know, we've seen some discussion about how scoring chances are, are a strong, a stronger predictor um, of this, of future performance than uh, Corsi or XG, at least offensively. And I, I can sort of see why, looking at how kind of poor the NHL data has been. I wonder if doing this kind of thresholding uh, of, of just looking at scoring chances kind of eliminates some of the scorer bias, where, you know, some, but because of the nature of hockey, some chances are worth so much more than others, and most chances are worth very little. Mm -hmm. When you use scoring chances, you kind of lump them all together, which in theory is not a great thing, but maybe with how inaccurate the data is, that helps you avoid some biases and some weird situations. But regardless, that's a bit of an aside. The Leafs look a bit better by scoring chances. Uh, again, they're, they don't appear to be among the very best in the league by any of these measures. Uh, granted, we don't really have to compare it to the rest of the league right now mm -hmm. because the only thing that matters, really, is how they compare within the division. And within the, the division, the story is you know the same as it was before. Our, our on-ice stats are not as good as Montreal at 5-on-5, five five, um, but we're getting results, right? So overall, I'm not... I'd say I'm a little more positive on the Leafs than I was you know, two weeks ago. But there, there's... I don't really think that there's been a gigantic change. Yeah. I'd be the first starting point here is expectations are the father of disappointment, so to speak. When we talk about the Leafs in this way, we're, we're maybe a little bit ho-hum on them, a little underwhelmed compared to what we might have hoped. We're grading this team on a standard of, is this team in the top five in the NHL? Like, we're not grading them on, are they pretty good? Yes. They've met that standard in the past, they're doing it again now. Like, this is not the uh, the car is on fire and there's nobody at the wheel situation. It's it's going pretty well. And in the standings, it's going better than pretty well. Yeah, but in the standings, we're exactly where you would hope we would be. We're, we're fourth in the league. And again, you know, league measures are not that important, but just, as a, just to kind of quantify our performance relative to the other teams, you know, the teams that are above us are Tampa, Vegas, and Boston. Those are Stanley Cup contenders. Yeah, like that's the class of the NHL. Um, them in Colorado, in my opinion. So Yeah, and Colorado's been, you know, beset by injuries and uh, postponements at this point as well. Yeah, so it's a bit of a funhouse mirror. But all the same, good stuff. It's just a question of what we're hoping to see is this team to cleanly outplay competition as much as possible. They did that to Vancouver two nights out of three. And two nights out of three is fine, because Vancouver is still, arguably, an NHL franchise. <laughs> yeah, they're still an NHL team, and yeah. it's also, put it this way, let's say the Leafs dominate the um, Canucks slightly less than in each of the first two games, and then slightly more in the third. So the aggregate results are the same. Mm -hmm. Would that change our opinion of them? Probably not that much. Like I, I think, you know, you, you take that three-game series in a whole, it, it, there's nothing there to worry you. Yeah, the the games against Montreal were kind of set up to be quite interesting because you know these are the two teams that look so far to be the class of the division. Mm -hmm. um, Montreal was on like a mini skid uh, in, throughout like the first, uh, or at least an offensive skid heading into that, and then it was kind of compounded by a poor offensive performance by them in the first game, and then a loss to Edmonton. Mm -hmm. That never feels good losing to Edmonton. <laughs> no, it, it never does. So. Um, 
you know, in that respect, I think there's been a, some talk recently of like, oh, see, Montreal is not really legit now. Yeah, and I think a lot of people want them to be frauds, which I totally sympathize with. It would be very funny. Like, a lot of people were like, oh, like, look at this paper tiger-ass Montreal team. They lost a game to Ottawa. They lost a very touted game to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then they got shut out by Mike Smith and, uh, against Edmonton. Yeah, that's not a great week. But I think the reality is Montreal's not as good as they looked putting the boots to Vancouver over and over again. They're also not as bad as they might have looked against Edmonton. And... I think we probably have to accept, even if you're kind of low on them, and there are reasons to suspect that maybe shots overrate Montreal a little bit, I think. Uh, but I still think that they're pretty clearly in the top two. And I think maybe we saw a bit more of that as last night went on. After the first mm -hmm. period, I was really impressed with Toronto's game. I thought they were cleanly better. I thought they were unlucky only to be up by one goal. Mm -hmm. And... Even at the time, I was like, gosh, I hope we don't end up lamenting those missed scoring chances as the game goes on. And unfortunately, that's how it turned out. Right. Particularly in the third, where, where Montreal really um, poured it on. Mm -hmm. But but it, what it seemed like happened in the third was, was more that Montreal was really capitalizing on their offensive zone possessions, right? Mm -hmm. It did... It, it wasn't as if, at least to me, to my eye, it didn't seem as if um, they were struggling to get into the offensive zone at the start of the, the game. Just the Leafs were kind of stifling them when they got there. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of, Montreal figured out a way around that. And, and they started to get their really strong forecheck going. And they play a very simple offensive game, right? There's a lot less of the rotation and in-zone movement that you see when the Leafs are in the offensive zone, where you know it's kind of a whirling dervish of players. And there's often only you know one player high, and a, a lot of them, a lot of them low, and you know there's a lot of rotation. Montreal kind of plays a very standard like too high in the offensive zone, go D to D, get the puck in the corners, get the puck on net, try and create scrambles. Mm -hmm. And it's worth and noting the winning goal was that it was a point yeah. shot that deflected, and it bounced down to Brennan Gallagher, and he finished it. And you can almost yeah. yeah. You can say it was that, a great play by Gallagher, to be honest. He yeah, basically tipped it to himself. That's what right? he's for. And, yeah. you know, uh, you can say that, like, that's partly a fortuitous bounce, you know, so that's not going to work for him every time. But it's also like when your strategy as the Habs is to take point shots and then work off deflections, work off rebounds, uh, create some chaos in the crease and stuff, that's your offense. And so when we criticize the Habs for saying maybe Corsi overrates them because they rely on longer shots to start a lot of their plays... You also have to acknowledge sometimes it will work and it will look like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just wanted to put that in. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, they're they're. It, it's really notable, especially when you look at their their shot plot. Mm -hmm. How focused they are on points in front of the net, and I think you know similar to some Babcock Leaf teams, they use the points as a means to get to the front of the net because it's very hard to break down teams otherwise. Mm -hmm. And I guess going back to the Leafs, because we'll have a, a deeper dive on Montreal later. Going back to the Leafs, I think. One of the issues that has still not really resolved itself is that um, the second and third lines, the middle six, still don't look that great. And I'm aware that you look at Nylander and Tavares' numbers year long, year wide, they're fine. Mm -hmm. they're, they're quite good 
actually, right? Like Tavares has a, I'm just looking this up now. He has like a 51% Corsi, a 58% goals for, 53% expected goals. Nylander's are slightly better because I think he gets taken off in some defensive situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, okay, well, you know, you look at those numbers, that, that seems fine. Mm-hmm. But it, looking through the game logs, that's also kind of propped up by some really strong performances against crappy teams. And I'm not going to say that those don't count because they do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for if the concern is how do these guys project to play and how do the least project to play against good teams like Montreal, who we think is a good team still. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we get past Montreal and or the other teams in the North in the playoffs against a team like Boston or Tampa Bay or whoever, you know, how, how are they going to perform there? Um, it, it's a little worrisome because it doesn't feel like we have a, uh, a second line that really works yet. Yes, not to the standard that we expect of this team. And not in light of the fact that, you know, spoiler alert, the third line hasn't worked either. And so we're counting on the second line to be a power line for us, akin to the first line. And before we jump into the problems, like this is obvious, but the first line has been outstanding. Mm -hmm. Um, No complaints there. Austin Matthews is playing the best hockey of his life, in my opinion. And Mitch Marner has really settled in next to him and they have Zach Hyman. It's great. But if we want the Tavares line to be a powerful line, a line that can take it to the opposition in, you know, a playoff series against a good team, then we've been left a little bit wanting, for sure. And Ilya Mikhaev, I had hopes that he would settle in there, but it is starting to feel like he's more of a Kapanen-style player who isn't elevated by his line mates to the extent that we might hope. And maybe the uh, the consolation of that is that he's not impaired as much by having lesser line mates because he kind of does his own thing, which is carry the puck through the zones and then dart to the net and probably don't score. But the result is that we probably need to look at other options as to how we can reconstitute the middle six in the quest to build a forward lineup that can dominate to the degree that we hope. So that's kind of what I think is the uh, the ongoing issue with the Leafs right now. Yeah. It, and I guess visually, to me, the Tavares line never seems like it's doing what I expect them to in my mind, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, there's so few... T- it, I don't have the numbers for this this year because it's been a small sample and I haven't seen the trackers, but it wouldn't be surprised if Neenander's, um neutral zone numbers this year are like a lot worse than his prior years because mm. it just feels like he never has the puck with control which is something that is a calling card of his game yeah uh, at the best so. of it and uh you know his ability to sustain control of it and you wonder is it an adaptation thing is it that we're seeing a system and i think Katja's has made a remark along these lines before although i don't want to misquote her but she said this system seems to be working really really well for austin matthews like he's like a, you know, a fish in water. He, he's loving it out there. And then maybe the second line, it doesn't suit as well. And I don't know how far that's true. I know that Nylander is a great transition player. His strengths are obviously a little more noticeable when he's kind of rushing the puck. But that should still be something that, that helps. It's just, yeah, you I, know. I also wonder how much of it is just him playing his offside. And maybe that's right. it's time to stop that. Like, 
I keep thinking that. You know, like maybe. Well, yeah, like the 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 benefit of it is presumably that when he gets in the offensive zone, his shot is going to be more dangerous if he's coming in on that off that side, right? Because passes from the right hand side to him are basically easily one timed, and he'll have a better angle with his right shot than he would, you know, if he uh, was stationed on the right side. Although with how much the Leafs kind of interchange in the offensive zone, I'm not sure how much it matters. But yeah, like when he's on the left side, there's a handful of times where I saw, you know, people pass him the puck and he just miscontrols it on his backhand. And, you know, he's a fine player who can take pucks on his backhand uh, usually. So maybe it was just kind of a bad game for him. But like most players, he's better at taking pucks on his forehand. Mm -hmm. There, there, There was one situation where he did have the puck on the right-hand side, and he kind of just zoomed by a defenseman and got a not very dangerous slap shot away from the circles, but it was still a shot off a controlled zone entry. It was something. And that line really struggled to generate much uh, all night, I thought. Yeah, and I think that that's a good point, because pass reception is always one of those maybe more under-noticed skills or under-discussed in terms of if the pass works, we kind of think, okay it was a good pass or if they kind of bobble the shot, we say, okay, that's kind of on him just not being able to finish. But the reality is to have like a high octane cycle game, the puck is moving around. Players are moving around the offensive zone. Part and parcel of that is really fast, hard passes that are on target, obviously, but also they count on the forward or the receiving player being able to receive them cleanly and keep the puck moving. You know, like, they don't have to even take longer to corral it. They get a handle on it quickly and move. Yeah, and the the offense that that line is creating so far, it seems to be, it seems like relatively little of it is created um, through their own kind of controlled zone entries, and the offense that they do create is created from forcing turnovers. Mm-hmm. Which is, is great, but it's also, you know... If, you, if that's all you can rely on, there's going to be times where you just don't get those, right? Those turnovers are super high-value plays. That's why every coach kind of preaches, you know, taking care of the puck in your own zone. That's why dump-outs are so popular, because even though you, you lose control of the puck, th- there's a very small risk of a defensive zone turnover, mm-hmm. right? So if, if your offensive plan is create defensive zone turnovers, um, I, I wonder how scalable that is long-term. Yeah, and it's also... I don't want to say it's like just a grinder strategy. It's useful. It's good for everyone. But that's the kind of thing that you especially focus on if you're at a talent deficit. Because you're thinking, we want to pressure these guys. We're going to be high energy. We're going to make it really miserable for them. And we'll pounce on opportunities to give our forwards the kind of chances that they can finish. Nylander and Tavares should have an element in their game where they just kind of run shit in the offensive zone. And we've seen them do that before. So, like, the mystery of it is why isn't this working better than it is? We're not saying that it's an unmitigated disaster. No, because it's not. Again, like, yeah. their, their numbers on the year are are good in terms of forwards. They're ahead of everyone besides Matthews, Marner, and Hyman. Yeah. In terms of offensive production, uh, like, on-ice offensive production. It's just that, you know, you look at their game logs, it's been concentrated on, like, they've had, they had a brilliant game against Edmonton. They had a brilliant game against Winnipeg. They had a brilliant game against Vancouver. Yeah. Right? That stuff matters, but those are not that strong 5v5 teams. Mm-hmm. Right? I, even, you know, if they did that against Calgary, I'd be more impressed. 
Yeah, and I want to... Um, and certainly yeah. against Montreal, especially if they're facing the, the Drouin, Suzuki, Anderson line, as they have most of the last uh, two games. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that this is a... I want to emphasize here, this is, again, reflective of expectations. Because, one, yes. we're saying you've got to be better than, realistically, at least five of the teams in the Canadian division that aren't us, you know. And we're also saying it's not enough just to be a good line. And so I, I recognize we are holding them to a high standard here because the standard that we're trying to set that we're hoping for is serious cup contender like one of the best teams in the league without much question and so when this is a supposed strength of ours and it's not delivering at the level that we might hope or it's kind of feasting on cheap competition we're looking ahead to the playoffs and we're saying okay you might get one round of that if you're lucky and then it's going to be, you got to face Montreal, and probably you've got to face two better teams after them, uh, if you if you make it that far. So it's just a matter of, is this going at the level that we need it to, to be the best version of the Toronto Maple Leafs? And right now it feels like it isn't. And so, because Matthews and Marner are going to be joined at the hip as long as they're playing like this, and they also like playing together, that's fine. At this level, you don't mess with that. So... It's a matter of, can we find a third line mate that can help unlock them? Or that can, you know, in some way facilitate what they're trying to do. Because again, whoever it is is going to be by far the third best player on the line. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think we've seen enough to say Mikhaev hasn't really worked. VC, I don't think has really worked just because he doesn't do that much. And then it's been sort of a grab bag of other options. I I would have liked to see more run from Wayne Simmons there. I know that his numbers were not the greatest this year, but I really liked how it was going. But uh, Simmons is unfortunately out for the next several weeks, so got to look elsewhere. Yeah, so with the news that Joe Thornton is coming back pretty imminently from Sheldon Keefe, I think he mentioned that in the pregame yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, it begs the question of where he gets put. Right. And it, it, it feels like the Hyman-Matthews-Marner line, you just don't mess with it. And again, it's like, there, you got no bonus points for predicting Hyman would do well on that line, right? Yeah. That's, <laughs> if, you, if you've watched the Leafs of the past four years, you, you knew that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would hope that they don't put Thornton back there. Um, although if they put Hyman on the Nylander-Tavares line, may, maybe it's worth it. But, you know... The, the the common hockey coach etiquette is you don't mess with things that are working. Mm-hmm. So assuming, I guess, that Thornton does not go back on that top line, where would you want to see him instead? So my thinking is I want him at third line center. Because the third line hasn't been working as well as we would have hoped either. We talked about it trying to be constituted as a checking line. It failed, in my opinion. Like, I don't think that it worked. Uh, and then we've seen a lot of grab bag options where it looks like Kerfoot is invariably playing with a couple of players he doesn't really work with. And we talked about this last week. And so I would have Thornton third line center try Kerfoot at second line left wing. And I think Kerfoot can definitely be a complementary offensive player. We've seen him do it. He has the skills. And he wouldn't be being asked to do more than that. Whereas... You know, even at this stage, and I know Thornton doesn't have much foot speed anymore, but there's hope that he can still anchor a good third line. Yeah, it's 
Uh, it's going to be interesting because Kerfoot still, if you look at the numbers year wide, he I think he has like a relatively lower offensive zone start percentage than most of the the rest of the Leafs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So he, like, he, there is some, still some of that defensive usage that's being baked into that line, but um, you know, do you think Thornton can can handle that? Is is really the question? And and right now I get right now that line is what VC Kerfoot uh, Engvall. Yeah, and. They're all players who can do different things, and you might think, even in theory, you can see why they might work together. You know, Kerfoot is the passing sort of defensive center, Engvall is the rush monster and also a good defensive winger, and then VC can finish some plays in the offensive zone to give them a bit of offense. I get the theory. It doesn't seem to happen very much, <laughs> as, as intended. Sometimes theories don't work. And so, yeah, that's kind of a concern for me that we haven't found an orientation of that line that seems to pay out. Yeah, I, I'm not, I, I don't mind trying that. I, again, I, I think the Leafs should try this stuff because like they're, you know, without getting too ahead of ourselves, the Leafs have almost already wrapped up a playoff spot. Yes. And in a world with no fans, I don't care that much about home ice. Mm. Um, I guess it gives you the last change. That you know that maybe shifts things a little bit. That's not something I'm going to over centralize on. What the Leafs need to be really doing, in my opinion, is thinking about how everything, how everything leads to the playoffs. How how are they going to make sure that they have all the information they need to succeed there? And I think to some extent they're they've actually done that with how they keep switching up the power play and how they keep switching up looks there and you know trying to keep teams on their toes. Mm-hmm. I think to an extent that's with an eye on the playoffs and saying okay we want to make sure that we can present different options in case one option gets shut down in, in April or whenever the playoffs are. Mm-hmm. So, um, basically my point is, we should try and experiment with that stuff. I wouldn't mind seeing Thornton there. Uh, but given that I think Thornton's best assets are when he's in the offensive zone, using his passing to and his you know puck control to unlock defenses, I wonder if we see him on the um, left wing of just Tavares and Elander directly instead of putting Kerfoot there. Um I know there was concern about Thornton's minutes with the with the Matthews line especially, right? Where it's like, okay, this guy is, you know, very old for an NHL hockey player. How is he going to keep playing those minutes? And you would think, okay, maybe that concern still exists if he plays on the second line. But there's a very big difference in 5v5 minutes played between our top line and our second line. Like, the top line plays, like, oh, 16 minutes a night on average on offense. The the second line plays, like, 13. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Thornton, I think, could be, could be able to handle that. And giving Tavares and Nylander a passer, someone who can actually kind of play off them, and someone who reads the game, even now, just at just a high a level as they do, if not even higher, mm-hmm. um, could be the the key to hopefully getting something out of them. That that's what I would try first, anyways. Yeah, and I think that that's you know certainly equally valid. The point is to try something. And then yes. if it works, admit it plainly and try something else to use the FDR line. But yeah, I, I think the, the big takeaway here is you have to keep looking at other options for that second line to get it operating at a high level. And as much as there have been things that are encouraging, I think the Leafs are better defensively than they were in yeah. previous years. I think that's established. I'm not saying they're great or that they don't break down. They do, but... There's more to feel good about in terms of their defensive competence than there has been in a long time. 
And so I think that that's maybe the most positive takeaway. So it's just a matter of, okay, can we keep the offense humming at a level that makes us as good as we ought to be? And I think that that's the main issue right there. Uh, in terms of were we too negative, I'm going to stick to my guns on this one. I expect this team to be a contender, or at least I'm going to hold them to that bar. And I've seen some good signs. I've seen stretches where they've played really, really well. I don't think they're bad. I can't, in my own mind, move them out of that 5th to 10th bracket in the NHL. That's where a lot of the numbers have them, or slightly below it. And mentally, I just do not have them as the the very highest level of team. You know, like just the kind of team that's going to really take it to the opposition, dictate the way the game is played. And I'm hopeful that they can get there. I'm not ruling out that they will. There have been some great signs that you could see as building blocks towards that. I'm just not there yet. Um... Now, that said, with the Canadian division, they can do all that and just, like, they can be just as good as they are and still be the best team in the division because it's soft, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I guess part of, th- that's a benefit of, of the division in one way, but it's also a curse in the sense that, like, at least on, on our end, as, mm-hmm. you know, not, not a curse for the team, really, but as, as a curse for someone look, trying to analyze a team, it's hard to get a sense of where they actually stand relative to the elite of the league because this division appears to have no one in that class. Yeah. Montreal's, I think the closest thing to um, a genuinely very good team besides the Leafs in this division, and even they have some pretty notable flaws. And the, you know, they're 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 a good team, and they certainly execute very well at five on five. But they they still have very very real issues of lacking you know really elite game breaking talent. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, my you know to some extent, if the Leafs keep clobbering. Vancouver and they can clobber Ottawa and Winnipeg and whoever then that's good and we will kind of speak well of that but I don't think those games are really what's going to change our mind at this point yeah right which is a bit of which is a bit unfair because you know you still do have to beat those teams and you know if you if you put up a 65% Corsi consistently against those teams or you know you're just completely destroying them you know not every team does that these teams don't have 35% Corsis yeah Um, Yeah, and I mean, I know that we are saying, you know, just be distinctly way better than five of the six teams in the division, which is a lot. You know, the best teams in the NHL, the best teams in history, will lose some of those games. No team is perfect. And no team is going to be dominant in shots and chances every single time out either. It's just, are we, on average, acting like a real contending team? There have been glimpses of it, but I don't think that we've seen it for the whole stretch yet. Um, yes. Do you want to talk about the Montreal Canadiens in a bit more detail then, since they're our number one competition? Yeah. Yeah, so I, we thought this would be a good week to kind of do a bit of a deeper dive into into the Habs, since the Leafs were playing mm-hmm. them twice. Um, and it does seem like, you know, they're they're going to be the major threat in terms of regular season supremacy not just because they appear to be the, you know one of the best teams in the division but because the Leafs have created separation between themselves and everyone except Montreal mm-hmm. right so currently the Leafs are three points up at Montreal which is um notable but certainly not insurmountable with you know still quite a bit of the regular season to go 40 games or so 
Yeah. And a um, lot of head-to-head mashups, like yes, we saw exactly. last night. Like, if the Leafs had won, it would be a seven-point gap. That's a four-point swing every time, so, yeah. Exactly. So, Montreal, in a lot of ways, we mentioned it kind of at the start, they're, they're similar to how they've been in years prior, with the notable exception of now they're finishing. Mm-hmm. Right? So, it's like, yeah, it's like the Habs, and now we're finishing talent. And in theory, that's a pretty scary proposition, because they've always been one of the best teams at controlling playoff five-on-five. Um, but they've never really been great at finishing. Mm-hmm. Now, we talked about this last week. Do we think, you know, th- this should change our opinion a little bit about their finishing ability, but uh, how much does that do so? And I guess there's, there's a couple kind of tidbits I, w- I want to add to it. A- and the first is kind of who their good finishing is coming from. So right now, their strong finishing is coming in part, or actually coming mostly, from players who are contributing a lot of the shots on the team, mm-hmm. right? So Josh Anderson's a shot-happy player. Tyler Toffoli's a shot-happy player. Brendan Gallagher's a shot-happy player. Mm-hmm. Those are three of the guys who are really finishing at great, uh, at really strong levels, mm-hmm. right? So in a sense, you could spin that either as, a, as good or bad. You can say, okay, they're important players, the guys who you expect to be um, you know, contributing offensively are the ones who are running hot. That means they're, you know, th- th- that means they're important players who are doing well. That's good for them. You could spin it the other way, saying, oh, you know, Anderson and Toffoli in particular are going to cool down because they're shooting, you know, far too ha- uh, hot right now for anyone to really realistically sustain. Mm-hmm. And when they come down, there's no one else on this team, or like the, the the other players on this team don't shoot the puck enough to really con- make huge differences even if they do go on heaters, mm-hmm. right? So there's various ways you can look at it. Jeff Petrie is actually another one. He's, he's a very shot-happy defenseman, and he's been converting at an extremely high rate for a defenseman. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, now, it's, it, it's worth noting that Toffoli and Anderson are, are new additions to the team, right? So they don't bear that baggage of, oh, this team can't finish, mm-hmm. right? Anderson had a nasty scoring slump last year, but he's had strong years generally. And, this is what the, people were dunking on Montreal for that trade. And when it happened, I'm like, oh, I, I want to, but I can see how this could work for them. And <laughs> it's early, but it, it, it does seem to be working for them. And Anderson's a, a good player, and he's annoying to play against. He's, a, you know, the, the prototypical power forward who is genuinely actually quite good. Mm-hmm. Right? He's not um, a Coke machine power forward. He's a good power forward who uses his size for uh, to play effective hockey. Yeah. I mean, the risk with a term deal like that for a player like that is always he could get old fast, Mm -hmm. but he hasn't yet. And so that's sort of a concern for the future Habs. Right now, he's an effective player. Yes. The other weird thing. So uh, Thomas Tatar, or I I guess I should say the way Chris Cuthbert says it, Tomas Tatar, which he he, he doesn't anglicize the the name, which I guess is the proper way to say it, um, was healthy scratched last night surprising which was, yeah which was weird he, he scored in the first game against the Leafs I, he, he's been playing I think well to start the year he's one of the few guys on this team that really does have offensive talent um and I guess it's vindicated to some extent because they won but I, I'm just curious like, what's going on there I, I, I haven't followed but Tatar's a good player yeah uh, and I think very clearly and I I have to think Claude Julian knows that um I remember when I looked at them Previously, like, they do not have a lot of players who are, like, 60-point players. And Tatar has done that. 
Like he did it last year. He had 61 and 68. Just on that raw level, it's like, you wonder about, like, are you just taking him out of the lineup because you're mad at the offense and he's the offense, so you just sort of lash out at the offense, you know? I don't know. Um, and, and, you know, maybe there's more to it that, than I was seeing. He wasn't as committed to the game plan. Claude Julian does coach, I think, very well-structured teams. Like, there's a very real sense with Claude Julian that you got to get with the program. And I think he's coordinated somewhat with Bergevin on that point where over time it's felt like players who were kind of not so much with the program wound up out of town and players who seemed to suit the program, Josh Anderson, Tyler Toffoli, uh, found their way to Montreal. I'm not saying that it's totally rigid in that respect, but I'm saying they have a clear team identity of how they're supposed to win. And that's, I think, a factor in how dominant they are in shots and chances. They have a very defined system. I don't know that it makes sense to ever scratch Tatar, but maybe they say, like, look, we're 15 games into this season. This is what I got to do to kind of set the table for how we're going to play down the stretch. But I yeah. also feel like there's got to be some awareness. It's like... The Habs are not going to score as much on an ongoing basis as they did against the Vancouver Canucks. It's just, that's not realistic. Right, and, <laughs> and to an extent, the Habs have had kind of an inefficient allocation of goals, mm-hmm. right? Uh, in comparison to the Leafs, who have, you know, won a lot of one-goal games. The, um, the Habs have blown out a lot of teams, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's good, and it juices your numbers, and it's, you know, a good sign of team quality. But in terms of accruing points, it, you know, the, the seventh goal in a... Uh, seven nothing game does not help you at all in terms of win probability, in terms of you know st- season season expectations. You know, putting aside that it, the fact that you're getting a seven nothing lead means you're probably a good team. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's interesting to see that. Um, that that's something else to keep an eye on. You know, their five on five numbers are still better than the Leafs in, in basically every respect. It's just it hasn't translated to the same amount of wins as the Leafs. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I think people are right now are reading into kind of the order of results a, quite a bit. They had a very hot start. Now they're, they've cooled down a bit, and some are taking that to mean okay, you know, their this their true level is, is what they are now. But we, we shouldn't throw away that hot start. That hot start means something. It's not something that we just forget about as soon as soon as they go on a slump. Yeah, and a lot of Leaf fans are dunking on various tweets that people said like, "Oh my God, just give Montreal the cup now" or stuff like that. Um, I know Chris Johnson described them as a juggernaut, and he joked that. The subsequent week, he was, quote, tweeted to death by people pointing out, like, what a juggernaut this is, losing 3 nothing to the Edmonton Oilers. That's fun. But in reality, I think it is clear that Montreal is a good team, and they're probably a better team than they were last year. And last year, you know, by standings results, they were piss poor. But I think that that already a little bit underrated them. So I think Montreal belongs in probably the second tier of the NHL that I keep talking about the Leafs as being near the top of. I don't think they're quite as good because I don't buy that this improvement in finishing is really going to get them to being a good scoring team. Like, I think they'll be a little better and that'll be enough to make a difference. And the fact that they control the puck so much, it does matter. You, You know, even if it is, partly point shots and stuff like that. You have the puck, it's in the other zone. There's still some chance that it's going to lead to a play where you score. 
and you're probably not going to get scored on too much from there. So, yeah, like, I do think that it matters that the Habs have all these incredible, shiny, fancy numbers. It's just, I don't know that it, it puts them at a level that it looks like it should, which is they, they're like top four. I, I, I have them as pretty good is I guess my, my current ranking of the Habs. Yeah, I think, I think that's, um, that's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, now that said, and this is just an aside, I was terrified they were going to get Dubois, man. He seemed like, yeah. Like, I think that that would have put them over the top, and he seemed like such a good fit for that Claude Julien system that we've talked about. So, anyway, but they didn't. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think that it's sort of just to get a balanced perspective on Montreal, and I think maybe, you know, losing as we did last night, we saw in the third period the Habs pushed the pace. They took the game to the Leafs to some extent. And I know a lot of Leafs commentators and tweeters they viewed that as the Leafs trying to sit on a one-goal lead. And there may have been an element of that, of the team getting a bit cautious and trying to shepherd at home. But also, it's a game between two teams, and the Habs, I think, knew that they were in an embarrassing stretch and they wanted to to push a little bit more. And they made chances. You know, yeah, they and, and they, they, they did it... it. It wasn't as if it was uncharacteristic of the Habs yeah. to have a strong forecheck and you know, control shots and really stifle teams from, from getting out of the offensive zone. Yeah. Right? And, like, make, make good on their chances when they do get, in, or, like, really kind of capitalize on their offensive zone time in terms of staying there. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a characteristic Habs performance. It's, um, I don't think it's something where you can just say, oh, you know, the Leafs were bad, the Habs had nothing to do with it. Like, that, you know, you have to give some credit to them. Yeah. And it's going to be probably hard fought the rest of the way like uh, i'll have the leafs as narrow favorites over the habs and probably each subsequent meeting depending on circumstances but like yeah it's gonna be tough and i do i still expect the habs to finish second in uh in the division because i think that they're definitely better than edmonton or calgary at this point so yeah yeah exactly Okay, so um, we're gonna bring back a much loved uh, segment that we've that we've had in prior years, which is basically just us getting mad at bad takes. Uh, we've been too peaceable and kindly. Yeah, we, we we haven't really done it so far this year, in part because it, it's it's quite hard to find takes that are both um, kind of bad enough that they're worth you know ten minutes of discussion on, mm. and are also from people that are like important enough to like you know be recognized we don't want to like dunk on joe from scarborough saying trey delander he's soft right yeah. so, okay we, you know that's tired and trite um so we're, we're actually we're gonna take aim at leafs nation here <laughs> we love you, you all we're part of yeah, you but you. come on <laughs> please stop tweeting every marginal decision that goes against the leafs during a game i okay it, yeah. yeah like it's okay for, first off there is, I don't think, a real conspiracy against the Leafs. I, I've seen some the evidence about, you know, refs playing a game management style. I think that can be valid. Mm-hmm. It, it, it does really seem to vary year to year how much that, how strong the correlation is between kind of penalties drawn and penalties taken when you remove offsetting minors. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mentioning that, okay, sure, that's fine. But, you know, there's always like a handful of people. And, you know, these aren't, these aren't nobodies. These are people we follow. Uh, who who kind of regularly tweet and gif and stuff, 
who, you know, will take a very kind of marginal hit, right? It's like, okay, it's a hit that you, you barely notice as the game goes on. It's like, oh, judge for yourself. Should this be a penalty against some hab? And it's like, come like, just, we, we don't need to relitigate every single minor thing because I guarantee you this happens the other way as well. And we just don't notice because we're Leafs fans. Yes. Every fan base kind of thinks that the refs are out to get them. And I get it. When you're in the emotions of the game and stuff like that, and you think, oh, fuck, make a call there. That's fine. We all do that. But when you go to the effort, it's like, look at this play. And you start zap-rootering the footage and being like, and here it's backwards in slow motion. Undeniable evidence of a ref conspiracy or something like that. And, you know, you end up with this angle on the game where it's like every single Leafs game is either a victory or a vile ref conspiracy. And sorry, but that's silly. Like, if you're investing that much into it, one, it seems like a miserable way to cheer for the team. But two, it's like, you start sounding a bit tinfoil hat there, bud. I, yes. Yeah. And it's not that we should really care what other fans think of us, because, you know, the least fans could literally be, um, every one of us could be like Jesus incarnate. And I don't think fan, other fan bases would like us anymore. Nope. But, you know, it does make you seem kind of unhinged if you were continually saying, oh, that should have been a call, that should have been a call, that should have been a call. Man, the refs really hate the Leafs. It's like, you know, there are bad calls in games. When it's not ridiculously egregious, I think you just have to accept it and like, you don't have to remark on every single possible missed call. Yeah. Like, like I saw some people argue that Gallagher's goal should have been whistled down for a, for a high stick. And, and, and to be clear, this is not true of everyone. Mm-hmm. Right, We're, we are kind of scapegoating a, a small set of people here, um, but it's like, come on, just look at that goal again. It, it's very clearly not a high stick. It, even if it um, was close, it certainly wasn't so uh, blatant a high stick that it would have come back in any sort of review because you know the review tends to uh, side with the call on the ice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is just this is just my plea to Leaf Sands of stop blaming the refs for every single missed call. Um, because it also results in this situation where, as you said, like every game is either the Leafs won or the Leafs lost, but it wasn't their fault. Yeah. Like it's, it's at a point where you stop being able to look at the team with any kind of useful objectivity. And people are like, hey, fuck that. I'm a fan. I don't want to do that. Okay, fine. But it just means that you're giving up on kind of looking at what happens in games. The reality is, I think there was one real game in the course of this year where the Leafs were kind of getting screwed over by bad refereeing, which I don't think was intentional because it was that game against the Edmonton Oilers and the refs pretty blatantly tried to make up for how bad they had been by calling a bunch of junk shit on the Oilers in the third period. And it wound up being, I think, on net, not an unevenly refereed game in terms of the outcome on one team or the other, just terribly. They just made a bunch (laughs) of calls that were awful. And even then, like, I think that's what tends to happen. There's a lot of bad refereeing. And I think that there are referees who get a vibe a certain night and start thinking, I'm going to let this go to some extent. I'm going to call a loose game or I'm going to call a tight game. And it is a little frustrating that that standard varies. And I get that people want to see the Leafs go on the power play because they're good at it and it helps them win. But... The reality is that's just kind of how hockey works and has since time immemorial. And there's always going to be a lot of play that's right up against or gently over the line that doesn't get called. And 
we're marking on it every time as if it's like damning footage of the referees. I don't think that that's. I don't think that that makes anyone happy. It just makes you bitter, and it also makes you sound a little bit like you know. You've kind of lost it. So, <laughs> yeah, just maybe maybe turn it down a bit. Save it for like the absolute worst call of the season, where you're like, "That's it. That one was terrible." Um, and we know that it will be Alex Kerfoot who gets called for that, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But yeah. Anyway, that's just our, our little plea. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, so was there anything else that you wanted to add? Uh, no. Great. So uh, that's all we have this week. Um, you can catch all of mine and Fudeman's work at pensionplanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RB and AT Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.